And live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Courtney Reagan in for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after-hours action shares of Applied Materials and Williams-Sonoma. Both stocks on the move right now on the back of earnings. Their calls are also now underway. We're breaking down those quarters straight ahead. Plus, our trade of the day, Macy's having its best day ever on the back of blowout earnings. The stock's soaring 21% and a big win for one of our traders, how they're playing the breakout. And later, the chart master is sounding the alarm on oil, why Carter Worth sees troubles in the charts for the energy trade. He'll break down the action. But we start with the big headline that sent shares of Apple to all-time highs. The company reportedly hitting the accelerator on self-driving cars. Let's get to Phil Abou for the details. Hi, Phil. Hi, Courtney. You know, the stock really took off in the middle of the day, hitting that all-time high after a report on Bloomberg said that the company is targeting a potential debut in 2025 of a fully autonomous vehicle and that work on that autonomous vehicle has been accelerating. As you take a look at Apple over the last year, and the stock has had an interesting ride over the last year, we should point out that we did reach out to Apple. And as is almost always the case when it comes to anything Apple car related or any work being done on the car, the company declined to comment. Let's point out what we're talking about here in terms of a fully autonomous vehicle, because where we are right now and where the industry is headed wildly different. Right now, we have level three autonomy. That means partial self-driving. I cannot stress this enough. I hear this all the time from people. They say, well, Tesla's autopilot can drive anywhere. No, it cannot. It, they may be working on that, but there is no fully self-driving vehicle out on the road right now. There are many that have level three autonomy. The next level up would be a high level of autonomy, almost to the point where you don't need to have a steering wheel in the vehicle, but it's not 100 percent. Level five, which is what Apple is targeting, is complete autonomy. In other words, you get in, it drives. It would be ideal for a robo-taxi service, or you could see individuals owning a fully autonomous vehicle, though many believe the robo-taxi business is more likely to be the area where you first see these vehicles. What does this mean not only for shares of Apple, but for other autonomous vehicle plays? These are just a few out there. There is Tesla, and yes, they've done a lot of work, especially when it comes to the autopilot. They would love to eventually have a fully autonomous vehicle. They're working on that. General Motors, we know what they're doing with their subsidiary crews. And then you've got Ford with Argo, both of them making big strides when it comes to fully autonomous vehicles. And I also put up Aurora Innovation here. That stock moving up more than 8% today. Chris Ermsen is the founder and CEO of Aurora Innovation. They are developing the technology for a fully autonomous vehicle. One of many companies that are out there doing this. Bottom line is this, Courtney, anytime you talk about an Apple car, it gets everybody excited about, could it actually happen? But keep in mind, we were first reporting on Apple developing a car, I want to say back in 2016, 2017. I remember somebody did a report and they said, hey, by 2020, you're going to see an Apple car. We don't see an Apple car. And, and by the way, Andrew Ross Sorkin, he asked Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, about their work on the Apple car just a few days ago. And what did he say? Eh, we keep a few things up our sleeves. We're, we're not ready to announce anything. We don't have those flying hoverboards yet either, Phil. Uh, while we have no. you, though, I, I do want to ask you about a, a tweet that was sent from Ford's Jim Farley saying that they have yep. a plan to make 600,000 electric vehicles by the end of 2023, which I think is two times what their target had been previously. Can you tell us more about that? 
Nothing more than what he said uh, in that tweet, and he was doing an interview earlier today with a trade publication where okay. he doubled down on Ford's commitment for electric vehicles. Look, they've got the F-150 Lightning coming. That's going to give a huge boost to their sales. You've already got the Mustang Mach-E that is out there. They also have the uh, E-Transit, which is their commercial vehicle. That's coming online. Jim Farley is ultra-aggressive when it comes to the development of electric vehicles. And so this target that he's put out there for 600000 that would make them, if they can hit that target, they would probably be number two in the world in terms of uh, electric vehicle sales by the end of 2023. Obviously, Tesla is number one. Uh, they're likely going to stay number one for some time. A lot has to happen between now and then, but I'm not surprised to see this uh, from Jim Farley and his team. They are doubling down when it comes to EVs. Yeah, that's right. Ford doesn't want to be forgotten in that electric vehicle discussion. Phil, thank you so much for covering it all for us here tonight. Dan, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Let's talk about Ford. What do you make of what's going on here in shares of Ford? Oh, I think uh, Phil said it just just correctly. I mean, they are going to be super aggressive. They know that is the path forward. They're focusing on SUVs and pickup trucks. I think when we were talking about Rivian's uh, debut last week, that 70 so percent of the cars sold in America were SUVs and pickups, and that's where they're leaning into. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. I know the whole panel has been all over that trade here. I do think the news with Apple is really interesting. Phil also mentioned, um, you know, that Ford has this deal with Argo and with Lyft for uh, ride-hailing autonomous. I mean, there's other ways to play this. If you ask me, are you buying Apple right here? Or somebody was, they'd like this headline here, up nearly 3% on the day at a new 52-week high, an all-time higher. I'd say, okay, fine. I mean, they're probably as good a bet as anybody to make an autonomous car. Whether they have fleets available in 2025 is another story. I don't think analysts or investors anytime soon are going to be modeling their numbers going forward based on this sort of speculation. Tim, how about you? Do these headlines out of Apple excite you, give you another reason to look at the stock? Well, it's well, interesting because... The you know, the, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. That's all right. Tim first and then Karen. Okay. I, I'd, I'd rather listen to Karen, but all right, here we go. So <laughs> I, I think, it, you know, typically with, with the story around Apple, uh, especially in the last five years, it's been hardware or software or in services company. And, and the conversation today really, again, is, is the, the, the debate over whether this is actually going to be transportation as a service and where Apple's going to continue to rope you in. And, and that's where you should be excited. But I think what Dan said is you don't chase the headline. I wouldn't chase this headline either, especially after an 8% move in Apple in four days. I think it, it points to the excitement. And I, I would point it right back to Detroit again. Um, and GM was interestingly down today. Uh, but GM's going to have a million autonomous vehicles by 2030. They say they're going to have uh, a autonomous uh, of some kind, even for availability for some fleet services by late in the decade. Um, the fact that they've been hard to work at this and the fact that Ford does have the expectation on uh, where they're going to be on EV vehicles. I, I just think it means that Detroit's in a much better place, at least to compete. I'm not saying that they're Tesla here, but but again, everything we're saying about these car companies right now and, and pointing at Tesla cars on the road and the number of deliveries this year and what their market share is should remind you that Tesla is just a car company, right? Or are these other car companies that are going to be doing EV uh, more than what they are? I still think there's a massive valuation mismatch. And, and if you're getting excited on a day like today about Apple, it's in the share price, but it's not in Detroit. Fair enough. Karen, I want to get your thoughts. <laughs> well, I agree with pretty much everything Tim said. I think, though, you know, we've heard, as, as uh, Phil said, this Apple story a couple of times. And 
in the past, I think that it was more, I don't know, this sounds maybe more real, but in the past we thought, well, this is going to be really a CapEx, you know, an enormous venture CapEx, and um, do we want them to spend their money that way? Now, in this environment, with EVs trading as they are, anything remotely related to that gets, you know, buzz for the stock and shareholders like it. I, I like Tim, am interested in the sort of the mind of the car, Apple controlling the mind of the car, um, the actually making the vehicle itself. That's a really capital rich endeavor, although they do seem to have endless capital. I'm long Apple. I'm not in it for that at all. But uh, I guess these days it's a positive. But I wouldn't buy Apple right now for this. Guy, what do you think? Does this make Apple more attractive in the long term? We certainly know, as uh, Phil told us, we're in level three. We're not close to level five. And this is the real universe, not the metaverse. But it kind of all sounds like a video game. What do you make of uh, the Apple move potentially into cars? I'm going to hang out at level one, if that's okay. (laughs) Okay. And over the last two days, Apple's announced (laughs) an autonomous car, which I will never buy. I mean, clearly I'm not their target audience. And yesterday they announced that you can fix your Apple devices at home which clearly is not for me either. So good for Apple, 0 for 2 in the Adami house. In terms of the stock, the tell was on October 12th for you Rounders fans. Everybody's got a tell. Well, John Malkovich had it in that movie, and the tell came on October 12th. At 4.05, Apple announced they were going to uh, cut production of Apple iPhone 13s by $10 million due to chip shortages. The stock was trading 141. The next day, I think the stock actually closed higher. That was the tell we had talked about it. The tell today is the fact that it traded close to 135 million shares, two times normal volume. So just like you probably were buying it that day on that tell, I think today is the day you maybe take some money off the table and look for a pullback back into the high 140s. Well, that record run in Apple actually got us thinking about other stocks that have been on seemingly unstoppable tears. So check out these names. Also hitting all-time highs today. NVIDIA soaring after its earnings report last night. Home Depot, too, now up 9% since its report earlier this week. But this is not a case of a rising tide lifting all boats. Alibaba sinking over 11% today after its latest report. Peloton, Robinhood, Penn National, and Roku all continuing their recent slides. Every one of them, in fact, down 50% or more from their 52-week highs. So in this market of haves and have-nots, do you stay with the stocks that are working or do you bet on the comeback kids? Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting dynamic. And I think the ones that are working, Courtney, what's really important here is they're massive stocks and they're really kind of levitating the broad market here. Both the S&P and the NASDAQ are sitting here uh, very near all-time highs um, at a time where, you know, the Russell actually we're spending a lot of time talking about in the last week, the small caps had broken out. Well, it appears that they've come back um, in a little bit here. So I think the crowding in those big, big names that are working is not particularly bullish. And then when you look on the flip side, those names that are down 50, 60 percent, these were sediment darlings. Now, they might not have been big market caps, but they were really important. They were like part of the kind of zeitgeist of the market um, as we were kind of looking to kind of work our way through the pandemic and what might be accelerated on the way out. The fact that stock market investors there is no low, low enough then. And I can throw a few other names in there, Zoom and Chegg. And I mean, the list goes on and on. So you're losing a lot of these sediment darlings, if you will. And I think that's kind of a problem. So the crowding in Apple at all-time highs, Microsoft at all-time highs, and even Google at all-time highs is not bullish to me. It really is not. And I know that there's a lot of justifications made for these things now that are trading 27, 28, 29 times. Why it's different this time, it just doesn't seem that different. And it seems a little dangerous to me. 
Karen, one of the halves that I'm going to pick out here is Home Depot, not surprisingly. But I am surprised about the move. Up 7%, Karen, since they reported their earnings. You usually don't see these big moves from Home Depot, even when they put up a blockbuster report. It seems different this time. What do you make of the have and have-nots? Make sense to you to pile on or wait for the tide to turn? Well, I'm in Home Depot. I'm in Lowe's. So I like to think I didn't pile on at the end. I've been in those for a while. But honestly, I was surprised by the magnitude of the Home Depot move. It's not like they were coming off a low and, you know, they were, you know, had a nice run going in. So it's like I think what Dan is saying, this sort of, you know, everyone aggregating into these few big cap names, which I agree is not the sign of the most healthy market. And, you know, even a slight beat is not good enough now Right. Everyone needs absolute blowout growth or that or otherwise just not good enough. So uh, I, I don't know what to do with Home Depot, to be honest. I like it. I like the trend. I think this trend is still in place. I going into it, I can't really say I was expecting more than here this price. So I'm a little stuck on what to do with it. Maybe sell calls against it just to take some money off the table. It's had a nice run, but uh, a lot of good news priced in. Sure. Fair enough. Tim, what do you think? What are you going to do here? Well, you know, again, so if we're saying the rich are getting richer, again, are, are they too rich on valuation? And NVIDIA, like we, we've just gotten done talking about so nanotechnology and where we're going and where the auto sector is going, where the gaming sector is going, where the cloud's going, where the metaverse is going. Uh, you know, this is this is why NVIDIA trades where it is. The valuation is, is over 60 times. Uh, and it's a case where it's always been expensive. But um, I actually think that this is a case where this is a little bit rich, whereas with Home Depot, uh, you know, Home Depot is in the middle of a very strong trade. And while, you know, the stock is you know getting richer, so to speak, and so are its shareholders like Karen, uh, you've got a case where I think the trends that are the tailwinds for uh, home improvement and housing and playing housing through a Home Depot and a Lowe's and a Williams Sonoma, who we're going to talk about at some point tonight. Uh, those are trades that make a lot of sense to me. Dan is right. Uh, on the way down, uh, you're seeing stocks that, remember, the overshoot to the upside was something that was so extraordinary, it's not surprising to see where we're taking things out on the downside. But in the have-nots camp, where, again, you know, the, the rich are getting richer, but the, the poor are getting poorer, you know, to what extent is there a value opportunity and a valuation opportunity? Uh, interesting to me that Alibaba sells off as it does today on an earnings day when that's not the story at Alibaba, unless you think that today's, you know, 20 percent growth, which isn't all that exciting. But when you look at the valuation, actually, I think the stock's really, really attractive. This is a story about Big Brother. This is a story about, you know, on the same day, JD.com went up 6 percent because people think that they are actually the the favorite son, so to speak. So I think you have a case here where Alibaba is now to me, uh, despite my inability to really apply calculus to what's going to happen with the, the regulators in China, I think um, I, I think this is interesting. And I think this kind of a move that's based upon an earnings story today is not the reason to be selling down Alibaba. And it's not expensive. Um, so if anything, that's a, uh, you know, a have not that actually I'm starting to get pretty attracted to. Guy, what do you think? You want to pile in with the haves or find opportunities in the have nots? I think you stay with the haves without question. I mean, Home Depot, we've talked about it. We really haven't wavered from Home Depot for years on this show. I know for the folks watching, they know that. And the comps that they put up today were coming against comps that were pretty difficult, yet they beat them. I mean, look at the revenue. And then you look at the analysts, what they have to say. A lot of these analysts have had it right. Then you see Jeffries just raises their price target to 455. I mean, I think it's going to get there. I don't think it's going to be a straight line, but, you know, I'll stand by Home Depot. And the quarters they continue to put up, we're still in the mid-innings of this story. In terms of NVIDIA, 
for perspective, that move in early October from 200 to 300, and I can do that math, you know, that 50% move, that was $300 billion effectively in market cap. Think about this. Disney itself is a $280 billion company. So some of these numbers, you know, we just we become so, um, I guess, desensitized to them. We don't even take them into consideration. NVIDIA is a tremendous story. But if you look at it, it might be time to start to uh, pair some gains in NVIDIA. Home Depot, I think you stay with it. Perspective is a powerful thing. Well, we've got a news alert on SoFi. Kate Rooney has those details. Kate, what's going on? Hey, Courtney, Jamath Pali Hapatia saying in a tweet just now that Social Capital, his firm, is selling 15 percent of its stake in SoFi. He says this is to raise cash and make a couple new investments. In a tweet, Jamath saying, quote, this week we sold down about 15 percent of our position in SoFi to help fund recent investments in technologies that will shape our future. He mentions Mitra Chem. Uh, He also says they are still holding about 85 percent of their original stake in SoFi. SoFi went public in January through a merger with one of Polyhapatia's SPAC, Social Capital, Hedo Sophia uh, 5, it was at the time, and uh, that was around an $8 billion valuation. Again, holding still about 85% of SoFi. Shares moving slightly lower here um, after hours on that news. Back to you. Got it. Yeah, that's right. Down about one and a third percent. Kate, thank you very much. Dan, I want to go to you on the trade on this one. Read anything into the tea leaves on them selling a 15 percent of their holdings if they're still holding on to 85 percent. Do they really just need this for cash or are they seeing something that we need to look at, too? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, you know, this is something that uh, Chamath's firm has done on numerous occasions. They've had a, a bunch of SPACs open door. There's, the, you know, Virgin Galactic, and they've done this in past instances because they're going to continue to use that vehicle to bring companies public. And so, um, you know, to me, I'm not. Listen, I'm long the stock. I'm not happy that it's 20 bucks. It was at 23 and a half um, a couple days ago. But you know, prices will fluctuate here. I really like this story when you talk about him in the tweet. I guess saying that they're looking to kind of reposition into some other innovative companies. I mean, when they listed Hedio Sophia or whatever you call it, A, they listed them A to Z. They're going to do all the way. So they're going to keep going. So I think it's really just a, a function of raising some capital. All right. Well, coming up, we've got an earnings alert in the semi-space. Applied materials falling in the after hours on earnings. We'll bring you those details next. Plus, a real miracle on 34th Street. Macy's handing in its best day ever on the back of blowout earnings. So is this the retailer to bet on? We'll break it down. Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on applied materials. Shares on the move after reporting results down about 5%. Let's get to Josh Lipman, who has the details for us. Hi, Josh. So, Courtney, applied materials, remember, uh, heading into this report, trading right near its all-time highs. It was up more than 80% this year, but now dropping here in the after hours. Q4 results missing on the bottom and the top Q1 guidance also missed. I caught up with Patrick Ho over at Stiefel. His take, Q4 gross margins came in above expectations, actually. So the company, he says, is executing well, but supply chain constraints impacting results here. His rating is a buy. Longer term, he says, AMAT, very well positioned. Uh, after all, of course, they make the equipment to manufacture semiconductors. Patrick's saying that's going to remain in strong demand across multiple end markets over multiple years. On the call, CEO Gary Dickerson saying demand for semis and semi-equipment is very strong. The pandemic, he 
says fueled consumption and big shifts that continues. The problem is not demand, but there are supply chain constraints, which he said did worsen during the quarter, including delays, uh, delayed shipments from certain suppliers. Without that, he said the Q4 revenue here would have been at least 300 million higher. He says these uh, constraints are going to persist into fiscal 2022, but execs saying they are confident that situation will improve and mitigating and manage these constraints, they say, is a top priority. Back to you all. Thank you very much, Josh. Guy, I want to start with you. These supply chain worries, particularly in the chip space, do not seem to be abating anytime soon. How does that impact the way you're looking at AMAT here? Yeah, and they're not going to abate anytime soon, in my opinion. But it's not going to change the way I look at AMAT. I mean, as Josh just mentioned, this stock had just made an all-time high at 159. You look at, listen, the quarter, I get it. They missed top bottom line. It's the guy that I think is concerning people in the first quarter. You take the midpoint of the EPS, it's about a 7% guide lower. But if you look at this stock on a chart, from April until recently, the stock was in this range, somewhere between 134 and 143. If you were to be so fortunate to get it back down to that 143 level, prior resistance becomes support. I think you buy this with both hands. Still an amazing story. I get what's going on here. The stock had been unabated to the upside. You buy that dip to 143 if you get it. Karen, it's not at 143, about 151, but do you see opportunity in these after-hours moves for AMAT? I don't really love to buy things in after-hours moves, to be honest. I like to hear the call because I think a lot of times there's some nuance with that that you don't get from just looking at the numbers. You know, you want to hear how they, how they, do they sound confident? Do they, are they wavering? So I don't really do much after hours. I probably wouldn't be an AMAT. One of, another one of guys that he loves, which is Qualcomm, which obviously is a little bit different business, but related, um, has just been on an absolute tear since, I guess it was early, mid-October as well. That one is a little more interesting to me, but that sort of 55% move up in the last five weeks gives me a little bit of pause. Dan, I want to get your quick comments here on AMAT. Yeah, I think the likelihood that, um, you know, these kind of issues abate um, sooner than expected, I think is makes sense to me. I mean, look at the, how this stock it had this early ramp here um, early in the year and it's gone sideways here. So I think the playing for this thing to actually um, persist longer than we expect deep into 2022 doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially with valuation trading year. Dickerson, the CEO of this company, is a stud here. They're going to manage these um, supply chains well. And then when things come back, they're just going to have all that demand. So this one trades below a market multiple, below many of its peers expected to have double digit earnings and sales growth in 2022 um, with margins that were better than expected both growth and operating margins so they're obviously executing pretty well i'm with guy if you see this thing at some point with uh, 145 or something like that i think it gets bought we are just getting started here on fast money here's what's coming up next a miracle on 34th street macy's soaring after blowout earnings So is this the name you want under your tree this holiday season? Plus, ready for an oil slick? The Chartmaster says the commodity could be headed for a breakdown. He's fired up and hitting the charts next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, Macy's topping the tape today. The stock having its best day ever, surging 21% on a powerful earnings beat. Macy's also raising its full year guidance, citing an improved economic environment. Okay, Tim, you're in this name. I think we talked about it earlier this week on Monday ahead of this report. So can Macy's continue to deliver the goods to investors? Is this more than a one-time bump? Well, it's a combination of things that they've they've clearly proven that they've turned their business around. These comps are up 37 percent. The gross margin up 540 bips year over year. Uh, A a new shopper, a new shopper experience and a different store and a different footprint in terms of store closures and and just structurally kind of where their business is and literally the cost of their business, the cost of their balance sheet. Again, their cost of capital uh, and their financing costs have come down so dramatically that this is a more profitable company. Has everything changed for the department store? No. And to the extent that, uh, again, there's this potential bid for spinning off a, a, uh, an e-commerce business, I think that's part of the valuation here. But again, that's a valuation that didn't exist for this company a year and a half ago. It certainly wasn't being applied by the market. So, um, look, it, the stock is not expensive uh, relative to at least other peers. And, and for that reason, I think I can still stay in the stock. The other dynamic here that should not be dismissed, and that is everything to do with the move today, is the short interest in the stock, which I talk about anytime I talk about the stock, because there are people that just are running scared from a company that a lot of these shorts were put on when people thought that Macy's was literally going to have to restructure the equity at some point. Uh, and that's that's 18 months ago. But I think the short base is still over 10 percent. And that's something that has to come down and will support the stock. When I spoke to CEO Jeff Gannett this morning, he just kept hearkening back to the strength of their financial balance sheet right now, talking about paying off this debt early. Karen, do you think some of the move higher today was a function of this valuation of that e-commerce business now that Saks is spinning that out and now that activist investors are asking Macy's to consider it and Macy's today said, okay, okay, we hired Alex Partners. We're going to look at our business structure. I mean, is this sort of a hope premium that we got today? Maybe it's a hope premium, but I mean, they've looked at things in the past and done some like the real estate. That was a big focus and they did some. But I think that to Tim's point, though, the balance sheet change here is really monumental. So it traded really cheap because people thought maybe it would go under. Their bonds at one point last year traded 50 cents on the dollar, the ones that uh, mature in 2034. I looked at them today. They're 100. So when they're in their positive cycle like they are, where they're able to pay down debt and so the equity gets more and more of the value, um, that's a nice place to be. I missed the entire move in this one. Good for Tim for having it. I'm not so optimistic on the uh, department store uh, that, that story in general, but good for them. I, I think, Jeanette, I don't know how he did it, but good for him. Yeah, and of course, next week is a very big branding week for Macy's with that parade, which is back and open to the public. Well, don't miss an exclusive interview with Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett on Mad Money tonight. That is tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, right after the show and right here on CNBC. Well, sticking with retail, we've got another earnings alert. This one on Williams-Sonoma. Let's get to Seema Modi with the details on this one. Hi, Seema. Hey, Courtney, we're just on the call. CEO Lara Albert is saying the hybrid working arrangement continues to gain traction, increasing desire to outfit the home for working, entertainment and cooking. But the supply chain issues still remain front and center. Williams-Sonoma was one of the first companies to diversify its supply chain footprint, investing in Vietnam many years ago. The CEO is saying it has impacted, was impacted by the three-month shutdown there. Since the country has reopened, it's experiencing significant backlogs. As a result, it does not expect a full recovery of inventory levels until mid-2022. 
But back to the quarter, comps for Williams-Sonoma, Pottery Barn ahead of consensus. West Elm a little light at 22.5%. Williams-Sonoma shares have rallied over the last three months, up about 27%, outperforming its peers. But as we said before, shares, Courtney, down about 6%, likely on those supply chain concerns. Got it. Seema, thank you very much. Guy, does this uh, make sense to you, this move lower, when you see comps that high for a company that's still giving four, five, six months out for furniture delivery, but customers are still buying it? So shares are down, though. What can you make of that? It makes, it makes sense in the context of the way the stock has been trading. I mean, it's been on fire. Again, this is a name that we've been talking about seemingly for the last couple of years. We haven't really wavered on this. Does it make sense? Yes. You mentioned the comps. I mean, they were up close to 17%. The street was looking for 11.8. They beat on EPS. They beat on revenues. Uh, they, margins were even better. They're all good things here. I just think the stock probably got ahead of itself. We've seen this before, by the way, in WSM. I wouldn't be surprised tomorrow to see analysts raise their price targets. You have a little bit of a back and fill in trading parlance, as they say, but we've seen this uh, act before. You're seeing it now. These sell-offs get bought in WSM, and a week, week and a half later, the stock continues to make all-time highs. I think you're going to see that again. Tim, would you have interest in WSM at these levels? The valuation's not difficult. You know, you're, you're somewhere around 18 times forward. The stock has had a monster move, but I, I still think the best way to play the housing market is through uh, non-dedicated home builder plays. And, and we talked about Home Depot. We've talked about Williams-Sonoma. Restoration Hardware is a, is a chart that actually I'm a little concerned about. It's a valuation that's not awful. Um, but, but again, if you look at some of the appliance companies, I think Whirlpool is, is also you know, someone that's suffering from supply chain dynamics, but demand for their products, their ability to pass some of this on and costs, there's no question they're able to do it. Those are places to play here, but I still like Williams-Sonoma, yes. Thank you very much, all. Coming up, watch out for an oil slick. The Chartmaster says crude prices could be headed for a breakdown. Carter Worth is on deck with how to navigate the energy trade. Plus, Black Friday is just one week away, and that means a ton of packages at your door and a ton of opportunity in two big names. We'll bring you that trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out crude oil staging a comeback today after dipping to its lowest level in six weeks. But despite today's bounce, the chart master is calling for a crude collapse. Carter Worth of Worth Charting joins us now. Carter, what are the technicals telling you? Well, they don't say collapse, but they would suggest that the weakness that we've seen is um, probably not finished. Let's look at a handful of charts and figure it out together. So here's a short-term six-month chart of WTI. And what we know, of course, is those lows in August at 61.50 a barrel, we surged all the way to 85 um, in the course of three, five, seven, ten 10 weeks, up $24 a barrel, up almost 40%. And then the collapse, minor collapse, of the past several sessions, we're down 9% peak to trough. Next chart. This is longer term and keeping an eye on that channel that we just sort of deconstructed together. Look at the internal trend line in effect over the past year. Now, what we know, next chart, is that WTI has failed to the penny three times, and this current failure is quite clear, at that internal trend line. And the drawdowns are very straightforward. The March sell-off down 15%. The July-August sell-off down 19 and this one down only 9 So the question is, are we going to escape with as minor a sell-off as 9%, or is it going to be more severe? 
certainly in the context of the rising dollar, I think more severe. So final crude chart, next chart. If and as we were to drop to the lower band, we're talking about something that would be more akin to the sell-off that we saw in July, August, down 19 or 20. And I think that has to be uh, on the court board, if you will, um, for those who are in this commodity. But not many people are in this commodity. NYMEX crude. Let's look at, finally, a chart of energy stocks. So this chart is important. This is the myth of energy outperformance, of value, and so forth. We're looking at a five-year chart. The top is simply the entire energy sector, as measured by any ETF you want or the Spider XLE. The bottom is relative performance to the S&P. And so, and there's no way around this. If you simply were to look at that line drawn, right, that vertical line, that is the day the market peaked before COVID came. That's February 19th, 2020. And from that day to present, the S&P is up 39%, and the S&P 500 energy sector is up four. One has not been paid, especially beta adjusted, to be in energy. And I don't think one is still going to be paid to be in energy. Got it. Carter with the warning. Thank you very much. Okay, Dan, what do you think? Heed this warning? Should we be careful and crude? I always heed. I always heed Carter's warnings here (laughs) because they're based on on charts. And he says the lines draw themselves. And in those instances, they have. And, you know, I would actually point towards the OIH, which is the oil services um, ETF. And that thing has actually been quite horrible of late. And you know those two sell-offs that uh, that Carter just mentioned in crude? The OIH from its March high sold off about 27%. Then it sold off about 34% from its June high. Right now it's in the throes of a 15% sell-off. And that thing has just showed very weak relative performance to um, you know the XLE or um, crude oil. So that one looks a little dangerous to me, maybe back towards 180 in the near term. So uh, you know, as usual, I'm with Carter here. Okay, Karen, opportunity or bad omen in the oil patch? Well, I guess since I'm not a chartist, I look at it sort of a different way around. I look at it, if the economy slows, then that's bad for oil. Not that, um, you know, it's just not how I think about it. But all that having been said, I love when Carter says to the penny because it really just underscores how exacting he is. And I, you know, I'm hard. I I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against Carter. I've done that in the past. It hasn't worked out well for me. Fair enough. Coming up, the shares of Lennar hitting a fresh all time high today. And one options trader is making a huge bet that the home builder home builder keeps climbing. We've got the details coming your way. Plus, don't look now. But Black Friday is just one week away. Don't I know it? And delivery companies are making big moves to keep up with the holiday. Frank Holland is live at UPS Distribution Center in New York for an inside look on how they're gearing up. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Courtney. We're at the busiest UPS facility in the nation. 600 drivers leave here every day with these packages you see coming down the conveyor belt. Coming up, we're going to take you inside the boot camp for UPS drivers where they learn the tricks, the techniques, and the tactics to get your present delivered on time and generate billions of dollars in profits for UPS during the holiday season. That and much more coming up on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown is on T-minus seven days until Black Friday and delivery companies are full speed ahead. So could this upcoming week be a make or break moment for the shippers? Frank Holland is at America's busiest UPS distribution center with how this company plans to deliver. Hey, Frank. 
Hey, Courtney. UPS is hiring 12,000 seasonal drivers for the rush of the holiday peak right behind me. These are packages that actually be flown across the country and then delivered by truck. During the holiday season, UPS drivers can make as many as 200 stops a day, a 33% increase over the year of the average. The company also creates 25% more unique routes to deliver their packages. At the UPS driver boot camp, we got an inside look at the training, the tactics and the tricks that these drivers learn to handle the elevated volume and still meet the UPS standard of making the average delivery within 90 seconds. Labor and the cost of it and the sourcing of it, that's been a key issue for investors since FedEx's most recent earnings were at missed on profit, citing a shortage of workers and the increased cost of getting them. You see the stock has fallen while the uh, UPS has actually slightly outperformed the S&P. A really, really key metric to watch for the holiday season, this holiday quarter, is average revenue per piece. Last quarter, UPS saw that metric increase by 12%. FedEx saw it increase by 10%. That's one of the metrics you have to watch when you're talking about an efficient network, getting deliveries where they need to be on time, and making them profitable. Courtney, back over to you. Very interesting stuff, Frank. I like that 90-second delivery time. Very interesting. And, of course, you got to look good in brown, too. Okay, over to Guy. What do you make of UPS going into this very, very busy time of the year for the shippers? Uh, as you may or may not know, I actually worked there. I was the employee of the month in the one day that I worked. I'm uh, sure we have the footage <laughs> archived somewhere. This oh, is my concern about now. UPS. You know, if you look at this, oh, there you go. If you look at the stock, traded up to 220 in May, failed. We're back up to those levels, sold off again. Bit of a double top. FedEx, and I think Karen would say this as well, and I've been wrong. I mean, but FedEx, if you just look at it, you throw a 15.15 multiple on the $22 they're going to earn, and that's probably light. You're talking about a stock that should be trading north of $300, and here we are mired in the mid 200 So I think FedEx is the play. They report on the 16th. I hold out hope that they will figure it out by then. Not even mid-200s. It's at 207. I think you were moving a little slower than 90-second delivery there, Tim, but we'll let it slide if you were really the employee of the month. Tim, what do you make of UPS here? Would you rather play FedEx? Well, I, look, UPS has been superior uh, in terms of their margins. In fact, they're, they're five or 600 basis points higher than FedEx, and, and it shows in the performance of the two stocks. UPS has outperformed FedEx by almost 40% on a one-year. Um, Valuation-wise, look, I think they're both interesting here, and, and I do think that the, uh, the holiday season it, for both will be different this year than it was last year or the year before when I think there were significant problems for FedEx especially. So, um, like FedEx over UPS, and it, it really is a valuation game. It's also a case where, again, this is a pretty extreme move on a relative basis to each other. Um, and I think at some point these things even themselves out, especially because FedEx has showed that they're starting to, uh, to raise that margin level. Like it. Karen, how about you? Playing in either one of these shippers? Yeah, I'm long both. I'm long some UPS. I'm long much more FedEx, which has been disappointing. Uh, you know, Carol Tomei, of the CEO of UPS, talked about them wanting to be more profitable, not necessarily deliver more packages. And that would be a nice playbook for FedEx, who wants to do both. If they could be more profitable, that would obviously be tremendous because the valuation is really cheap. So that's where my bigger bet is. It's, I think it's flat or down, I don't know, 2 or 3% on the year. Very disappointing. I th I'm still long. I'm still long. I think that whether or not it's this quarter or next quarter, they will get their act together. They started and then they kind of lost their way a little, but I'm optimistic they'll get it back. 
Carol Tomei, of course, coming from Home Depot, and we talked about that earlier in the show and how much of an operator that company is. She was CFO there. I imagine she's putting some similar discipline in of her new gig. Dan, how about you? What do you think about these shippers? UPS, FedEx, any way to play them? Uh, yeah, I would expand it out a little bit, and I'd look at the IYT, that's the ETF that tracks the transports that FedEx is in. And, you know, it had this massive ramp off of its lows in September. And it really, you know, what was interesting about the transports then is they just were not keeping pace with the S&P 500. Now, obviously, the market was in a bit of a throes back in September, and it came back really hard, but it did not break out. It did not make a new high. So there's some components of the IYT that are not acting particularly well. Some of those are the airlines, and then you have laggards like um, FedEx that are not really participating. So it really is a stock pickers market within the transports here. Um, I suspect if FedEx cannot do that profitably, like they're saying, ship less, but be more profitable, that stock's got another leg. It just filled in that earnings gap, and maybe it's got another leg lower. Stock pickers market, that's why we have you all here. Well, coming up, Lennar touching a fresh all-time high. One options trader made a multi-million dollar bet that that more gains are ahead. We'll break down that trade. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. We've got some breaking news out of Washington. Elon Moy has the story. Elon, what's going on? Courtney, the Congressional Budget Office has now released its official estimate of how much Democrats' social spending package would cost. It found that the bill would add $367 billion to the deficit over the next decade, despite the administration's claims that this package would be fully paid for. Now, the major discrepancy is over how much money would be raised through enhanced IRS tax enforcement. The CBO projects that that would generate a net of $127 billion over the decade, while the the administration says that it would increase revenues by $400 billion. Still, getting this number has been a critical piece of information for moderates in the House who have been waiting for this before they agreed to vote on a final passage of this package. The House is now planning to vote on the social spending bill sometime later tonight, as again, the CBO is finding that the bill would add $367 billion to the deficit over the next decade. Courtney. It's an important detail. Elon Moy, thank you for bringing it to us. Well, shifting gears here, shares of Lennar sneaking out to a brand new all-time high today. The home builder is seeing a ton of options activity, and one trader is making a huge bet that this run is far from over. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Courtney. Yeah, so Lennar saw more than five times its average daily call volume today. That was all the result of one large trade that we saw, the December 115, 120 call spread. Somebody spent about $1.40 for that, risking a little over one and a quarter percent of the current stock price to make a bullish bet on 500,000 shares. The Lennar is going to rise about 5 to 8 percent between now and December expiration, which is going to be on the 17th. It's important to point out that the company actually reports earnings on the 16th. So it is going to capture that event. This trade would actually be worth about two and a half million or giving the trader about one point eight million dollars in profits if it reaches that upper strike. Ooh, it's a lot, big profit number if you can make that work for you. Thank you, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow at 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up next, the final trades. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, starting with Tim. 
Courtney, thanks for joining us tonight. It was great having you. Morgan Stanley, really done nothing since very, very strong third quarter earnings across the board. Expect more investment banking. Some of those acquisitions starting to pay dividends. Karen. Yeah, mine's CVS Health. They announced they'll be closing 900 stores over three years, which is actually not that many, but I think they're doing the right thing. And at 11, 12 times earnings, and it's a $95 stock, which I always think a gravitational pull towards 100. Dan. Yeah, guy's age is gravitating him towards 100. Very quickly, um, gold, though, on the other <laughs> hand, I think you sell that one. I know he likes it here. Um, crypto down over the last week or so, gold up. I think that probably reverses in the next couple weeks. You get the last word, guy. Ages levitate. Apples gravitate. Zscaler, those cyber names are going to be a story tomorrow. Got it. Thank you very much for watching Fast Money.